Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called, Hey, Who's in Charge Anyway? And we'll be looking at a biblical model for leadership. Let's think about the pattern of God's leadership and how can we follow his example as we lead others. The title of our thoughts today is, What an Interesting Development. And the topic is how God develops us. We've been looking at leadership in the Bible, this lead, develop, care model, the picture of God's leadership that he leads like a shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd of all the I am's. That's the only one that related to a person. Everything else was an object, a metaphor. The one that related to uh, a human, a person, a figure, was the shepherd figure. That's the picture of God's leadership, the pattern of God's leadership. If you were to cluster all the things that God does to lead us like a shepherd, they would fall in these three categories of lead, develop, and care. And then we looked at the products of God's leadership, how that affects the way we follow God, and the way we lead others. But today is a special day because we are going to double-click on develop today. Very, very interesting. And we'll start off looking at a definition. This is a definition. It's not the definition, but it's a pretty interesting one. Intentionally strengthening people's capacity to grow and contribute. Intentionally strengthening people's capacity to grow and contribute. And this is a picture of how God leads us. It's also a picture of a good way for us to be developmental in our leadership, isn't it? But look, look at that definition. Intentionally, it's on purpose. It's not a whoops, oh, did I teach you something? I mean, sometimes we maybe have a developmental impact on people's lives, and we didn't mean to. Might even have been a bad one. Uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily always good. Uh, the devil is also very developmental, but it's in a deforming way. Uh, you've heard the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which includes salvation and growth. The devil hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. And that's why it's very important you pick well who you follow. Intentionally strengthening people's capacity to grow and contribute. The idea that you can get stronger inside and out, and you can grow in your capacity to grow. And you can grow in your capacity to contribute. What a wonderful thing, isn't it, seeing people move from unfruitfulness to fruitfulness, from being a taker to being a giver, to being a problem to being a blessing. And all that is related to growth and development. Now, as we talk about lead, develop, and care related to God, this is the one that's the most unexpected, the most surprising. Why? Well, he's the leader of the universe, so, and he's always been here, and we haven't. So, I mean, he, for no other reason, by default, he would be in charge. I mean, he's got all power, all knowledge. So, that's not a big surprise that he would lead. Of course, he'll, he, he leads. We're delighted that he cares, but knowing that he's a God of love, we're not necessarily that surprised by that. We love it. 
and it's wonderful, but uh, knowing that God is our shepherd, we would think, well, of course, he would act in a caring way towards us. The one that throws us off a bit is this idea that God wants us to grow up. Uh, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, there are many passages, but I just picked one. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him in every way who is the head into Christ. Now, why would that be strange? Well, think about it. I went to car dealership yesterday, and I wasn't looking for a car kit. I did not want a car seed to plant in the ground and it would grow a car. I didn't want a box full of car parts and tools and a giant instruction manual and says, this is how you put together a full-size sedan. It's like, no, I don't want a DIY car. I want a car. I want to start with it all in good shape, and I will try to maintain it. I don't want to grow it. Now, why do I say that? God could have done it any way he wanted to. In fact, that's how he did do it with the angels, isn't it? Did you know there's a fixed number of angels? It's always been the same number since he created them, the heavenly hosts. And they always act the same way. Angels don't grow. You, don't, you would never hear an angel say, well, yeah, I used to do that, but I've been working on it, and I'm really getting better. They are always consistent. But with us, God decided to not do it that way. I mean, what if you, in re, human reproduction, what if you were able to produce from the very first day of birth a completely formed mature human being. It'd be a little spooky because all of a sudden you've got another full-size adult there, but they're still calling you mom or dad. But what a different experience it would be. I mean, you're thinking back on some of the griefs you've had and think, wow, that would have solved a lot of problems if we'd have done it that way. Why? We couldn't. We can't do that. But God could have, and he chose not to. For some reason, God elected this process, this often painful process of growth. And as I was thinking about that, I think somehow it relates to his glory. It's like he gets a lot more credit and he's a lot more personally involved because it's a partnership with him and us making this thing happen. And it might, might be bumpy, but if it's ever achieved, it's much more glorious than just an instant finished product. Well, we're not going to go further in that, but just a little throw the conundrum out. God, why did you decide to be so developmental when you didn't have to be? So there are three what we call operational aspects. The what is to grow up, but the how. How does God go about developing us? And there are three things. I mean, I'm sure there are many things, but these are three really good things, kind of obvious things. Teach, model, and coach. Teach, teach is all about instruction. That's information. That's input. In the Old Testament, God says, my people die because they just don't have the right information. They're lacking knowledge. 
Then modeling, that's not just the truth, it's the truth lived out. It's an actual visual representation. It's the Word made flesh. And that's the observation part. And then finally, the coach part. That's the interactive part, the feedback that brings awareness, teach, model, and coach. And you, can, you realize all three are sort of essential. If you don't teach, there's basic information people don't have. If you don't model, then they start to doubt whatever you taught because you're not living according to what you were modeling. And without the coaching, uh, people aren't able to see the blind spots. I suppose that's why they call them that, right? It's the things you can't see. How can you see what you can't see? Well, you're close enough to somebody else who's honest with you and says, well, I see the lettuce between your two front teeth. This is, oh, really? I didn't know there was lettuce between my two front teeth. I couldn't see it. The coaching is where you get enough interaction, engagement, feedback uh, to move things forward. Now, let's think about how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit use these three operational aspects of teach, model, coach for our growth. And remember, as we do that, we're thinking He is our pattern as we lead, as we lead others. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 19. Just for fun, let's take a look at a particular example in Psalm 19 that you're, if you've been around at all, you have been in Psalm 19 at some point or another. It reminded me of what the pastor was talking about this morning about words and how words matter. Psalm 19 has three parts. Let's look first at that middle part that's so famous. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is right, making wise the simple, the precepts. And it goes on and on and on, but all talking in different ways about the Bible. God has given us the Scripture. That's the teach part of Psalm 19. He informs us what's good, what's bad, what he wants, what he doesn't want. What will lead to life? What will lead to death? That's all that middle part of Psalm 19. Well, the first part of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day to day, utter speech, night to night shows knowledge. What's that talking about? That's talking about the way God reveals himself through what he has done, the work of his hands. So the teach part is he's giving us words, but here he's giving us a revelation of who he is by looking at what he has made with the sun, with the sky, with the firmament, with nature. So then the third part of Psalm 19, who can discern his errors, cleanse me from hidden faults, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. This is the part that's more like the coaching. It's where it's really impacting his life, and he's, and he's realizing he's, he's far from perfect, and he really wants to do better. We see God teaching, modeling, and coaching. You see it in Genesis, don't you, with Adam and Eve. He, he, teaches, us by, he teaches him by giving them commands of being fruitful, multiply, uh, uh, multiplying, ruling the earth, about which trees to eat from, which not. You see God modeling for them in Genesis. For Adam and Eve, beauty, creativity, communication, his holiness. And we see him engaging with them and coaching them. Uh, not only when there was a problem, 
But when there was potential, cultivate the garden, name the animals. I love that. My friend Terry likes to say, you know, when, he, when God is getting Adam to develop in his, in his creativity and in his learning to rule the creation, he says, well, I want you to name the animals. And he said, notice that God didn't lean over Adam's shoulder as a long-necked animal came forward. And he says, Adam, don't you think that looks kind of like a giraffe? He says, no, name it whatever you want. I can't wait to see what you do. That's developmental. It's not being overly prescriptive for the people you lead, for the children you raise, but looking to see what will come out of their freedom to choose and hopefully to choose well. And God coaching him also when they're coaching them when they fell into sin. Adam, where are you? What have you done? And responding and working with them. Teach, model, and coach. We see that in God the Father. Of course, we see it in Jesus the Son. Teaching, Sermon on the Mount. Modeling, washing their feet. You could just go on and on, couldn't you, about the example Jesus set. Coaching, that great passage in John 21 where Peter is denied uh, the Savior. And in the beginning of chapter 21, he says, uh, well, let's just go fishing because it's like, uh, this. obviously this ministry thing isn't working out for me. Uh, I didn't do a very good job. And then Jesus shows up. With, there's the miraculous catch of fish. And then Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's that coaching back and forth uh, with, with Peter, not just teaching Peter, not just modeling for Peter, but engaging, coaching. You know, you can teach and model theoretically even if you're dead, right? Because if you wrote stuff down and it was good enough and helpful enough, people might read it. A.W. Tozier, Charles Spurgeon, we were looking at the things that the, I love that term, the divines uh, the theologians wrote on the Westminster Confession. They've been dead a long time, and yet there were things they were teaching us today. You can model even after you're dead. By the testimony of your life, I've been reading the biography of William Booth. What a giant for, for God, just amazing. Started the Salvation Army. And he's been dead for 100 years, but the impact of his modeling his life was hitting me just this week. But coaching, you must be present to do coaching. You can't coach when you're dead, so go ahead and get, get after it if you can engage with people for their growth. And the Spirit of God, then thinking about, does, well, how about the Spirit of God developing teach by teach, model, and coach? Well, the Spirit, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal to you uh, what you need to know. He's going to teach you. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. The Holy Spirit also models. He models humility. I just love thinking about the Holy Spirit because he's like, he's so self-effacing. He says, ah, oh, you don't even need to know a name for me. Just You can just call me the Spirit or something. It says, I'm here just to talk about Jesus, to point you to the Father. The Holy Spirit's so humble. He's so holy. That's why we call him the Holy Spirit. I mean, what if you're, some of you are deacons, some of you are elders, some of you are parents, but how would it feel if we said, well, we're going to call you the holy parent? No, I'm, 
I wish I could, you know, the holy deacon. You're the holy elder. You're the holy director of women. No, it's like, that's my aspiration. In heaven, I will be. But the Holy Spirit always has that name, the Holy Spirit. He models that. He models patience, etc. How does the Holy Spirit coach us? He is our primary coach, partnering with our conscience, convicting us of sin, convincing us. There's some things that you just know are wrong, and it's not because you can point to something specific in the Bible. The Holy Spirit and your conscience just don't, don't give you peace. Well, can we talk? Let's think a little bit about the so what. So what, that God is a developmental God. So what, that he teaches and models and coach, coaches. You know, your whole future usefulness, fruitfulness, and joy depends on you being open to responding well to God's developmental push in your life. In the normal course of events in, in, with humanity, there's a big developmental push early on. Uh, kindergarten, grade school, high school, college, maybe graduate school. But then people move on to whatever it is they do in their lives. And for many people, development begins to wane. You get comfortable and satisfied with what you already know. There are no longer teachers pushing, prodding you. You have moved out, hopefully, and not living with your parents, so they're not around to say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And you're just there on your own, and it's easy to go slack. It's easy to be lazy. It's easy to develop a hard heart to almost have like ear flaps that you don't want to hear anything, any ways that you can improve. How committed are you to continuing to grow and to learn and to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Now, if you're already perfect, we'll give you a buy on it, okay? I mean, if everything's just couldn't get any better, People confuse you with Jesus. Oh, excuse me, I thought you were Jesus. I, I, uh, you know, you just looked so much like him. But if there is a gap still, if the Holy Spirit is strong enough in you to shine the light, you realize, oh, I'm not the person I ought to be, then you should be completely dedicated to the painful process of development. It may hurt, but it is good. Are you still learning and growing, or are you stagnant and rotting? Many people these days, more than maybe ever before in the history of humanity, most of their discretionary time goes into entertainment, watching stuff, clicking on things, flipping through things. There's just, we're just inundated with so many entertainment options. And entertainment is the junk food of the soul. It's not as though it doesn't give you anything. I mean, maybe you will need to know all the things cats can do, crazy cats can do, or, or different ways to scare people when they're coming in the house. I don't know. They're the most crazy things, aren't there? 
But that's the junk food of the soul. It's the scriptures and the truth of God that really is the meat and potatoes. I always liked what was, I was taught early on, the hand illustration, because the Bible is our main source, isn't it, of learning and growing. I mean, think about how developmental God is. That's a big book, isn't it? It could have been a pamphlet. And we probably need a lot more than this. But someone once said, the Bible isn't exhaustive truth, but it is true truth. And someone pointed out that, well, what do you do with the Bible? He says, I've got an illustration of a hand. I'd love to take more time to tell you about it, but I'll tell you about it briefly. The little finger is just hearing the word, which is what you're doing now. And if that's all you ever do, have you ever tried to pick up your Bible with a little finger? It won't last long. Okay. That's if you only hear the word. Then if you also read the Bible, it gets a little bit stronger. I'm feeling more comfortable. Then you add in the next finger. You're already trying to guess what would the next finger be. It's study. When you have a test in school, you don't just hear, listening class, read it one time. You go over it. You study it. You write stuff down. You ask questions. Now you're thinking, my goodness, I wonder what the trigger finger is. If that's hearing, reading, studying, uh, the trigger finger is scripture memory at least committing some of the Bible to memory. And you, you maybe know a few verses, but there's a lot more good ones that you might want to do with try some Scripture memory. There is even, of course, apps for this if you'd like. Now, what would the thumb be that touches all the other fingers? It's to meditate on the Scriptures. So that's what you've heard, read, studied, and memorized. You think about it. You ruminate on it like a cow chewing its cud, and you keep getting new insights out of it. The hand illustration. Whenever I present that in a group of youth, I'll get them. In fact, I did this with the Sudanese students when I was teaching there in Cairo. And I says, I want all of you to vote on who is the st probably the strongest person in the room. So they picked this really big, strong guy. And so I would let him, with each time, hold his Bible with however many fingers we had. And I would play, of course, the part of the devil who's coming to take the Bible from him. And so even the strongest man in the room, if he can only hold it with his little finger, I can't get it from him. If, if he just has it with two fingers, I mean, I can get it from him. He can't keep me from getting it. And then with two fingers, he also, no matter what he does, he cannot, unless he slugs me with the other hand, he can't keep me from getting that Bible. But once he gets it in his full hand, even with two hands, the devil, me, couldn't get it from him. And so those are the different things as far as receiving and profiting from the Scriptures. Nobody can do that for you, and God won't do it for you. You've got to go for it. Do you have ambition for your Bible? Life is going to be over soon, and have an ambition to study the Scriptures, to read it through, to apply it, to understand it. So that's on teaching, receiving, turning away from some of that junk food. No, you're not going to die if you eat one, one thing of junk food, but if that's all you eat, it's going to affect you. Getting back to the meat and potatoes of the Scriptures is so developmental for you and me. Second, model. 
We don't just want to learn truths and scripture. Christianity is all about a person. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Study God's example. Gaze at him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. He's modeling truth, righteousness, holiness. He says, if you will pay more attention to me, you will become more like me through what you see in me. There is still so much that you and I don't realize about God. Acts 17, 23 talks about the unknown God. He says, Paul says, this, this unknown God who you worship, that's who I'm here to talk with you about today. If anybody's interested, I just thought I'd throw this out. I have, if you want to take some, make some progress on that, uh, if you will, you can look up my email and church thing, and if you'll send me an email, I'll send you a list of 120 different aspects, 40 on God the Father, 40 on Jesus the Son, 40 on the Holy Spirit, with a verse reference for each, that you can gaze at God and think about him through his names, through his attributes, etc. The unknown God. Study God. He is the model. And finally, coach. God's teaching us, modeling for us, coaching us. And I want us to think about how does God coach us? You realize that God often uses gloves to coach us. In other words, he does it through people. He'll put somebody on his hand and bring a word of correction or criticism to you. And you're wanting to think, why is this glove doing that? But it could be that God is involved there trying to give you some input. You know, some people like to learn, but they don't like to be taught. You got to think about that one for a minute. So they want the information, but either through shame or embarrassment or pride or whatever it might be, if anybody comes and points out something, they're resistant to that. It's so important your whole life long to have people that have permission to speak into your life. I heard a speaker one time, and he said, he said, have you been rebuked lately? And if you haven't been, it's not because you don't need it. You've communicated to people, you better not. You reach out with a rebuke, you'll pull back a stump. Uh, you're closed. He says, you need to be more open to correction. And they may not always be right, but you need to be open. A friend of mine told the story of a, a couple that went to a marriage retreat. And during the conference, the man, a husband, asked the speaker, Larry Crabb, if for any input. And he says, you really want me to shoot straight with you? And he said... He made the mistake of saying yes. And he says, well, from what I can see, you're a terrible husband. Your wife is lonely, and her soul is unexplored. Talk about input. <laughs> a 
I hope he profited from it <laughs> and didn't just walk away bleeding. Another person that's amazing for input, honest input, is your spouse. If you can receive it, it's taken me about 30 years to realize uh, what a blessing I have in Wendy in this regard that she's quick, quick in her mind to see things and honest with her communication to bring them up. And I used to sort of view it, I have to admit, and I'm sure it's my pride, I used to view that a bit negatively. And now I've realized it's one of my greatest gifts, and I'm so grateful for it. But do you let people speak into your life? Do you let the Holy Spirit speak in your life, who teams up with your conscience to help you realize that you're not on the right path? God is committed to your growth. He really is. He knows exactly where you are in your progress, and he is using things to help you grow up. It may be some of the things that you're calling, if someone says, how's it going, and you would name three or four problems, and that's maybe actually the three or four things that says, well, God says, well, actually, it's part of my development program for you. Uh, that's why it's so uncomfortable. You don't grow through comfortable things, do you? You grow through the hard things. God wants to intentionally increase your capacity to grow and contribute. But are you partnering and responding to him, or are you resisting and rebelling? Let's trust God for a new, green, growing edge in our lives, even if it hurts. Maybe it's been winter, but let's trust God for a new springtime. It's so worth it. What are you taking away from our class today? Is there something that God has encouraged you with for your own growth and development? Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We thank you that you don't just care for us and leave us to be the slobs we could be, but that you love us so much and believe in what you can do in us that you call us to a higher plane. And like an athletics coach, you will push us to the limit so that we could truly grow, grow in knowing you, grow in understanding who we are, grow in caring for others and contributing Oh, developmental God, don't leave us in that place of stagnancy. Help us, Lord, to step back into the river of growth, that you would make us more like Jesus, that we would grow up in all aspects into him. For the glory of your holy name, amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.